But I really wanted to be here this weekend. Uh, as we think about what God is going to do uh, in the year ahead, uh, in the weeks that are left in this year and then a whole other year, uh, I hope you feel the same sort of uh, excitement and anticipation uh, that, uh, that my wife and I feel, that numerous uh, of the staff, uh, the team that I've met with, the executive committee, the search committee, uh, the staff, uh, we all sense that God wants to do something. We've come through a season uh, on your part and on ours, waiting for the Lord to move, and He has. So with great expectation, uh, I hope that you're anticipating what God wants to do in a new year through, through all of us together. And I want to talk to you this morning uh, about the idea of vision. And vision uh, needs to be distinguished from the idea of mission, uh, because the mission is clear. We're not left to make up our idea for what the mission ought to be. The mission is uh, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. That's the mission. We're to be about making disciples. That's how we fill our days. But vision, the idea of vision, uh, is a mental image of a preferred future. Uh, it's something that isn't yet. The idea of vision is, is something that might be. Uh, it's uh, manageable. It's feasible. Uh, it's focused. It's desirable. Uh, businessman and author Max Dupree wrote, We can teach ourselves to see things the way they are, only with vision can we begin to see things the way they can be. Vision is about possibility. We just watched a vision. I mean, we just watched a, a video casting vision for how we here in Gunnison, Colorado, might alleviate uh, heartache and suffering and loss uh, in paradise in California. Uh, we can imagine that, and then we can put feet to our faith and do something about it. That's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Only with vision can we begin to see things the way they can be. So vision is about possibility, and it's the responsibility of leaders in a church in particular, but any organization really, uh, to work towards making uh, vision, that preferred future, a reality in the here and now. And Jesus was quite keen on this idea. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing of Himself. He looks to see what the Father's doing, and then He joins Him in it. He has vision. He sees what the Father's doing, and then he joins him in it. So this morning, I want to cast a vision for you individually uh, as a Christ follower, or perhaps you don't know Christ. Uh, I hope that you'll hear this morning uh, the, the hope of the gospel that's offered to you. And then I want to cast a vision for our shared lives together as Christ followers at Community Church in Gunnison, Colorado. Now, none of us knows uh, what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And so the best place to start with this idea of vision uh, is with the Lord Jesus himself. And in Matthew chapter 25, I'll read a few verses from there, but I just want to summarize because it's a big chapter. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus paints a picture, a, a mental picture of a preferred future. Uh, it's a, a vision uh, we will find ourselves in in one of two ways. The passage, of course, is the parable of the talents. And you'll recall in the parable of the talents that the master is leaving town he calls his servants together, and he gives to them talents based upon uh, their abilities. He gives one five, he gives one two, and he gives a third one. And he tells them to manage well, to be good stewards, as Chris was talking about when he prayed. To be good stewards of what he was entrusting to them. He was going away, and then he would come again, and he would collect counts. And so the master goes away, and as he returns, you remember uh, two of the servants, the, the guy who received five talents, the guy who received two, they invested, and they doubled what the Lord had given him. And 
Jesus says in verse 23 to those servants, these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But then there's a third servant, and we all know what happens to the third servant. He's scared that the talent he's been given, he'll suffer loss, so he hides it just to protect it. And he really thinks to himself he's doing well by keeping it for the master. But, of course, when the master comes and asks him what he's done uh, to steward well the talent he gave him, he says, I, I know that you're, that you're, uh, you're a headstrong leader. You, you get what you're looking for. And I was afraid to suffer loss, so I just held on to it. Jesus' words uh, of chastening to this servant are, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one uh, who had ten talents. For to whom everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not... Even that which he has will be taken away from him. In my office back home, it'll be here too, I have a little plaque that was given to me some time ago and has a little adage on it with a sailboat. Uh, and it says, uh, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And it's well-intentioned. The idea behind the expression is, is that we shouldn't be so anchored to the past or so preoccupied by the future that we compromise the value of the present moment, that we have to live now, that This is what God has given us. He hasn't promised us tomorrow. Some of us may not see many tomorrows. And the past is dealt with in the cross of Jesus Christ. But in this moment, we can can live the moment. And that's what that expression means. And it's it's well-intentioned, but it's partially incomplete. Because, of course, the destination does matter. Scripture says in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents bears out that every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. You have a destination ahead of you. The only thing that invites us into the presence of God in eternity is having a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ where we receive forgiveness and adoption. But if you know your destination, then it brings value to the present journey. Every moment that we live has value and purpose. And this is why the idea of a vision is so important because it compels us to make the most of today, to carpe diem. So that adage, uh, it's not about the journey, uh, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. While valid, is only, uh, we're only capable to maximize it when we know where we're headed. And so, Matthew chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So cultivating God's vision for our lives and for our church is critically important. As the Proverbs says, where there is no vision, what does it say? The people perish. And it doesn't mean only death. It can mean that. But mostly it means wasting away. That we can spend our lives not ever actually living for that which matters most. And so what I want to put before you this morning is Jesus' vision for your life and Jesus' vision for our church. Because every person here this morning, uh, it is God's intention for you that you would know Him through Jesus Christ and then that you would live a life in such a way that you would stand before Him one day and hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't have to ask for a show of hands to know that every one of us, deep in our hearts, desires to hear those words. But as Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who thinks they're going to hear well done will. It is those who live their lives compelled by a vision that he has for my life. 
that he wants something good for me, that he wants to use my life, and that if I'm willing to invest it in his things, then I will hear one day, well done. So in order for us to get there, it's critically important that we live our lives based on three immutable truths that we find in the parable of the talents. The first is this. Chris said it in his prayer. God owns everything. There is nothing that God does not own. He spoke the worlds into existence, and at his power, he has the right to take them back. He owns every bird of the air, every animal of the forest, every tree. He owns you and me, everything. And so God says in Psalm 50, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle of a thousand hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and all of its fullness are mine. God owns everything. The second truth that comes out of this parable of the talents is this, that God has entrusted His goodness to us. He's given to us these resources that Chris referenced of time and talent and treasure. And He hasn't just lavished these things on us so that we can live the high life and and eat, drink, and be merry for one day we will die. He's given them to us so that we can partner with Him to do His work in the world, which begins with the Great Commission. Sharing with other people who don't know Christ the love of Jesus. Uh, being sensitive to what's going on in other parts of the world and being, being able to be moved by the Spirit of God to be involved, to invest what God has given us. Now, why is such an important truth, uh, this idea of a vision, so important? Well, in Matthew chapter 25, the passages that follow the parable of, of the talents, Jesus gives us uh, the, the end game. Verses, uh, the, the following verses in Matthew 25, Jesus turns to this idea of the final judgment. This is what he says. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left hand. And then He will say to the sheep on His right hand, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we do these things? And Jesus replied to the sheep on his right hand will be, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So he's going to commend those who wisely steward their talents. But then he's also going to chasten the goats on the right. You know, it's funny, in our day, uh, the, uh, the word goat is an acronym, mostly in the sports world. Anybody know what goat stands for? Greatest of all time. And we debate, you know, in football, it's Tom Brady. Is he the goat of quarterbacking in NFL history? In basketball, this is probably the most heated one. Uh, it's the question of who's the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan uh, or LeBron James. And just by a show of hands, who thinks Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time? And who thinks LeBron James is? All right. All right. So Michael Jordan wins. We're settled there. But it's kind of ironic, this idea of the greatest of all time, because the greatest of all time uh, is Jesus Christ. And he's not the one who maybe accomplished the most in the eyes of the world. He's the one who became the servant of all. This is what it means to be used of God. We're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who gave himself 
So if we would be great, then we must be servants. And this is what Jesus is saying when He commends the sheep on His right hand and He chastens the goats on His left. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so this vision that Jesus has for my life is that I would use my life, leverage my time, my talent, my treasure for His kingdom purposes, that one day I might be a sheep on the right and I might hear Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So God has entrusted to us His goodness. And then third, God will one day evaluate how we handle the good He has given us, and He will reward us accordingly. That's what we see there in the final judgment. He's going to weigh out how well we did. So how can we ensure this morning that we can be counted faithful? You know, it's good news to know that every church in the Scripture struggled with this same issue. You read the the writings of the Apostle Paul. You read the writings of of the Apostle Peter. They were all concerned that that the church would understand that that not to get lost in the moment and the world around you, but to have your eyes fixed on what God has accomplished for you in Christ and where He wants to lead you. And so both of them write consistently, and there's no better example of that than in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a church like a church you might find in our day. Lots of problems, but loads of potential. And so Paul says to them, Uh, In chapter 4, a steward must be counted faithful. And then later in that chapter, he says, so follow me as I follow Christ. This is the invitation, the call uh, to the Christ follower. So it gives me confidence this morning to challenge us uh, in three ways. How can I uh, be considered faithful? How can I wind up at the end of my life having managed well my time, my talent, my treasure in such a way that I will hear those words fall from the greatest lips the world has ever known. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to give you three thoughts. But first, I want to give you the idea of vision from the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, Paul says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. As it is, as it is written, what no eye hath seen... No ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Community church, God has a vision for grand things for us. He has great plans for your life. Jesus promised, greater things than these will you do. And while we celebrate in this past year a hundred years of ministry here, and I don't think anybody is an original member uh, with us, but we're, we're all now a part of community church. But our past is not all. There's a, a present moment and there's a glorious future as we envision what God has for us and we follow Him. So let me give you three thoughts on how you and I can wind up at the end of our lives being counted faithful. First of all, I want to challenge you to pray for eyes of faith to see and embrace God's vision. That'll come in a myriad of ways to us. It might be... Um, It might be loving words of challenge from a brother in Christ that maybe you need to soften your edge with your wife. You know, that's how God may speak to you. It may be the voice of your child that convicts you that maybe your parenting is a little off target. And if you really want them to come to know Christ, you should modify. It might come through a video where God says, I want your heart to be broken for the suffering and heartache of people in Paradise, California. And then I want you to do something. 
It'll come in the form this morning of a budget plan. Imperfect, albeit, it'll probably have to be modified, but it represents as best as the leaders could put together what we believe God wants to do in the coming year. And it's just a starting place. There's more. So pray for eyes to faith to see and embrace God's vision. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And then he says, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if, you can, if, you, if no one can lay, I'm sorry, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. One day we will all stand before God. And you may be a one-talent person. And bless your heart, you can make a huge difference. You may be a two-talent, maybe a five-talent. Some of you are capable of producing not just 30-fold or 60-fold, but maybe 100-fold. Every one of us, based on what God has given us in His goodness and by His grace, will stand before Him, and He'll measure out how to invest it. And what Paul is saying here, not only should we envision what God wants our life to look like, but we should give to God our very best. You can do good things in the flesh. That's different from doing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do things just uh, to comp- be compliant with what others' expectations of you are, but that's a completely different thing than doing it for the love of the Father and wanting to bring glory to God. That's what differentiates gold and precious metals from wood, hay, and stubble. So God is calling us to the very best. We need to pray that we would see the vision that He has for us. My wife and I have four kids, and we wrote a vision for pretty much every uh, part of our lives. And with our kids, we wrote a vision statement that we wanted to see our kids become fully devoted followers of Christ, healthy in every way, emotionally, spiritually, healthy, whole, and capable. And then we want to release them to discover, as they must, that they too are stewards. They have time, they have talent, they have treasure. And God is calling them to live their life to live their life to the fullest, but to do so giving their best to Him. It's a lot like uh, plowing a field. In our day, uh, tractors have uh, marker arms uh, to enable them to plow straight, but in the past, in order to plow a straight row, you needed a, a fixed focus point on the horizon that didn't move. You keep your eye on that. That's what, Paul, uh, that's what the writer of Hebrews means when he says in chapter 12, fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. We're called to follow hard after him and to discover his vision for our lives. Second, pray. Second, pour out the potential of your life around kingdom priorities. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 is where Paul says, This is how uh, we should be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And it is required of a steward to be counted faithful. So I want to urge you this morning to be, as Paul says, to be imitators of him. As he follows Christ, we should follow hard after him. That means being involved in the Great Commission, living on mission. There are some people that you can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ that no one else besides you can. We're also called to the Great Commandment, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Beyond that, I want to challenge you to invest your time in God's work at Community Church and in Gunnison, and around the world. But it begins here. I commend Jeff and Jake and Chris uh, and Spencer for their heart for God and their commitment to God's Word to, to fill the gap while 
while we were praying for God to bring someone to be a shepherd. I commend the, ex- the executive committee, the pastoral search committee, the staff, but these are just leaders who can't do all the work. And there may be volunteers in every area, but if there's room, then you're needed. So invest your time. Second, use your talent. Leverage your gifts. Figure out what your gifts are. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, uh, just start stacking chairs. I always say, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, try it out. And, and if it tastes like you're sucking on a lemon, that's probably not your gift. You know, find something else. But, but God has made a way for every one of us to be involved in His work. And then third, invest your treasure. This begins with your tithes and offerings, but it also extends to compassion, meeting the needs of others in our community, meeting the needs of those who are going through difficulty all around the world. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's vision for your life is that you would live with one eye fixed upon eternity. This world is such a complicated place. There are so many distractions. Moms and dads, This is why I would encourage you to take advantage of the Advent. Do it at home. Do it at home because the world is bombarding your children with a message that is a lie. And if they buy it, it will lead them to hell. But in Christ, we find hope. In Christ, we find adoption. We find forgiveness. And we find a purpose, the purpose for our being here. Number three, pursue the things that stir your affection for Jesus. Pursue the things that stir your heart's affection for Jesus. As God's stewards uh, of His goodness and gifts, there's a lot of work for us to do. There's a lot that needs to be accomplished in our church as we unify and as we pursue Jesus Christ and we watch what He wants to do as He leads us forward. There's work to do in this community and in the outlying areas. But please hear me. The work that we are called to do is never to be at the expense of your own heart. God wants more than anything else, your heart. He wants you to pursue Him. He wants you to be in a love relationship with Jesus. And as we pursue those things that stir our heart's affection for Jesus, then He will faithfully lead us into the purpose that He has, His purpose for me and His purpose for you. So pursue those things which stir your heart's affection. That means studying Scripture, nothing better than that. It means spending time alone, talking to God. Beyond that, it just means finding those areas of your life where you can give more and more of yourself to just pursuing Him. If you ever get a note from me, and you probably will because I I love the ministry of words. Uh, Some of you already did. You'll note that I will sign my cards and I put one of my life verses on there, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58, which says, uh, Paul says, Therefore, uh, my beloved brethren, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Um, We're called to follow Christ. And yes, there's work to do. We need to roll our sleeves up, and and there'll be plenty of that as we move forward. But know this, God wants you. And as He gets you, and as He gets me, then He will lead us to that vision that has us stand before Him one day, And the balances, the scales are balanced out, 
and we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I had a cup in my hand, I intended to get one downstairs and forgot about it. But if I had a cup in my hand and I had uh, coffee in it, and, um, and you bumped into me, and it caused me to spill my coffee, um, why did I spill coffee? Why did I spill my coffee? Yeah, because somebody bumped into me? No, I spilled coffee because that's what was in my cup. If I had had water in my cup, I would have spilled water. If I would have had milk in my cup, I would have spilled milk. Uh, Life is going to bump into every one of us. The question is, what's going to come out of the cup? You see, the, the more we walk with Christ, the more our lives become consumed with our relationship with Him. As the world bumps into us through our time, through our talent, through our treasure, what's going to spill out of the cup is Jesus. And Jesus is what Gunnison needs. Jesus is what Community Church needs. Jesus is what Paradise, California needs. Our world needs Jesus. But they only get it when you and I are compelled by a vision that leads us to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask you, if you will, to stand. And I want to ask you to join hands with the person beside you. Spread across the aisle. If you're a guest with us this morning, this is my fault. (laughs) We may or may not always do this sort of thing, and you may be uncomfortable with it, but it's just a hand, and you can wash later. (laughs) We all will. We are the bride of Christ. We are His church. God is calling us to more than we've discovered yet. And yes, it's been a difficult season, and we have mending to do, but the Holy Spirit is more capable than any of us can recognize. He has good, good planned for us. But in order to get us there, it will require your talent, it will require your time, and it will require your treasure, the same as it will require mine. And as you and I die to self and we pour in press into Jesus Christ and we pour in our resources together with one another, we will watch God do incredible things as He leads us to a new season. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we are so grateful for how good You are to us. Chris reminded us this morning as he prayed, we are unworthy of the grace and goodness that You have bestowed upon us. What manner of love is this? that we should be the sons and daughters of God. But that is what we are. God, would you lift our eyes from the world around us just enough that we are not uh, dulled into wasting our time, our talent, our treasure. God, some have much, and to whom much is given, much is required. Some have little, but you commended the widow who gave all that she had, the widow's mites. 
as each one of us bands together and uses our resources, God, we believe that we can present them before you. And as you are so good to do, you take the little that we have, you multiply it, and you make much of it. God, our desire is, as a church, to present our lives before you. We want to be a vessel for your honor. Would you make new wine out of us? Would you take what we have? Would you unite our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? And would you do a great work that will be to your glory and that will be for our joy? And we will be careful to give you all the praise and glory. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated.